Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. Welcome to this week's Core Concepts brought to you by the EM Guidewire team from the Carolinas Medical Center Emergency Medicine Group. Today we have several residents. I'm Natalie Wood. Russell Tregonis. Joanna Creefel. And this week's installment is sponsored by Indigestion. Indigestion, your payment for never taking a meal break during a shift and instead cramming your foot-long sandwich into your esophagus in three bites. Indigestion. Now let's get on with the show. This week we will be discussing hyperkalemia. Team, welcome to EM Guidewire. Hyperkalemia is always the first, second, and third electrolyte abnormality that is discussed in the emergency department. And with good reason, hyperkalemia is one of the few electrolyte abnormalities that can kill and kill fast. Fortunately, we as ED residents get coached heavily on this and are able to immediately list off the drugs that we want to give. Yep, calcium, insulin, glucose, albuterol, KX late, got it. Next question. Exactly. We all know the drugs, so we're going to run through them again today, but this time we're going to focus on which ones have been proven to make the biggest difference. Okay, so we have a sick patient coming into a front room that we suspect hyperkalemia on. Maybe they have a dialysis catheter or fistula that was seen on exam, and they are stating that they feel weak. I'm immediately working on IV access for labs and meds, getting the patient on a monitor, and getting an EKG. And what are we looking for on the EKG? Peak T waves will be your first sign. Normally, as potassium approaches 5.5 to 6.5, once we get greater than 7, we start seeing a loss of P wave and a widening of QRS. And finally, as the potassium approaches and passes 8, we start to see development of sine wave morphology. Obviously, that's a bad sign to see as it means your patient is about to code. In addition, those numbers are general ranges. If someone is chronically hyperkalemic, you might not see these changes until the K rises even higher. At the same time, these patients might be more brittle so that a small insult will increase their potassium quickly and significantly. So for patients who we are concerned with and if we see EKG changes, we give calcium to stabilize the membrane. Now we have two main calcium formulations that we give IV, calcium chloride and calcium gluconate. Calcium chloride carries more calcium. One amp of calcium chloride is 10 milliliters and has 14 milliequivalents of calcium. That same volume of calcium gluconate only has about 4.5 milliequivalents. Exactly. In addition, calcium gluconate has to get processed by the liver first to activate the calcium, whereas calcium chloride is immediately available for use by the heart. That's why we give calcium chloride in codes. Now, we also always talk about extravasation with local tissue necrosis with calcium chloride, so make sure you have a good line, preferably central access if you are giving this medication. Unless the patient's already dead, then you can kind of give it to them anywhere. We always hear that calcium works by stabilizing the cardiac membrane. Now, what does that actually mean? Hyperkalemia raises your membrane resting potential closer to the threshold potential, basically making your heart myocytes more likely to fire spontaneously rather than in its normal, organized fashion. Calcium works by increasing your threshold potential, normalizing the gap between it and your resting potential. Now, both types of calcium should have an onset of action in about one to three minutes. Important to remember, you can redose calcium in five minutes if your EKG isn't improving or if it gets worse. In addition, the calcium should stay around for about a half hour to an hour. So if the patient is still with you in the ED while awaiting admission or dialysis, don't forget to redose your calcium. 
So in summary, calcium is always a good thing to give and is always indicated with acute EKG changes. 10 cc's of 10% calcium gluconate is normally going to be your first agent. This should start working within minutes and should be quickly redosed if the EKG doesn't improve or if the patient hangs out with you for more than an hour. So now that that's out of the way, what are the big agents that we can use to temporize the hyperkalemia and drive the potassium intracellularly? Number one is going to be insulin with a glucose chaser. Classically, 10 units of regular insulin with an amp of D50, 25 grams of glucose. This is going to drop your potassium by 0.6 millimoles, which might not sound like a lot, but actually plays a huge role in decreasing the bad effects of hyperkalemia. In addition, it acts fast with an onset in 5 to 10 minutes with maximum effects in 30 to 60 minutes and a total duration of several hours. The problem is that the insulin might outlast your glucose, especially in patients with renal failure, as insulin is normally cleared by the kidneys and will hang around longer in your renal failure patients. With that in mind, either remember to redose your glucose in an hour or so and make sure that you are checking glucoses frequently. Now, if you want to get fancy, you can either start off with 2 amps of D50 or empirically treat with 5 units of insulin instead of 10. A recent study by LaRue et al. actually showed no difference in reduction of hyperkalemia with 5 units versus 10 units, but did show decreased episodes of hypoglycemia. So insulin is very effective, fast-acting, but relatively long-lasting compared to the glucose it's paired with. You can give 5 units of regular insulin IV with an amp of D50 for best results. Next agent is albuterol. While it's not always the first med you think of, it may be the most efficacious. 10 milligrams of inhaled albuterol given via a nebulizer or in line with your ET tube will drop the potassium 0.6 milliequivalents, and 20 milligrams can drop it closer to a whole milliequivalent. The big asterisk here is that people taking nonspecific beta blockers will not get this potassium benefit. On top of that, up to 40% of people may just be resistant to the adrenergic effects of albuterol anyway and will also get no benefit. The only significant side effect is mild tachycardia, so overall it is very well tolerated. However, keeping the resistance in mind, albuterol should never be your lone agent. In summary, albuterol is a great treatment when it works. Give 20 milligrams via nebulizer, but if you know that your patient is on a nonspecific beta blocker or if they happen to fall in that 40%, it might not work as well, so you should always use it as an adjuvant therapy rather than alone. Finally, let's talk about bicarb. Bicarb was classically thought to work due to its effects on the potassium-hydrogen intracellular exchange. Great in theory, but maybe not so much in practice. Exactly. In the short term, bicarb actually has been shown to have no effect on potassium concentrations. Significant change is only seen over a four-hour infusion, and even with this, the mechanism is thought to be more due to the alkalinization of urine causing increased potassium excretion rather than an intracellular drive. Now, this doesn't mean don't use bicarb. Instead, it's better to think, don't use bicarb to treat the potassium. Often, these patients have concurrent metabolic acidoses, which the bicarb can absolutely treat. In addition, bicarb as a fluid, which you can make using 3 amps of bicarb and a liter of D5W, might be a great resuscitation fluid in the patient for this reason. Key point to mention now is that you don't want to use normal saline as a resuscitation fluid in these patients. Normal saline, especially in significant volumes, can cause hyperchloremic metabolic acidosis that will worsen hyperkalemia. Interestingly, lactated ringers, which does contain potassium, is actually a better fluid in these patients because it avoids the acidosis. This is one of the reasons we in our shop use LR as our fluid of choice in septic patients who are getting resuscitated. These patients often have either acute kidney injury and or underlying kidney disease and are at risk of hyperkalemia already. Great points. In summary, bicarb doesn't actually treat acute hyperkalemia, but in patients with concurrent metabolic acidosis can be very useful. In addition, always remember to not throw a bunch of normal saline at your hyperkalemic patients, as this may make it worse. Instead, use lactated ringers or isotonic bicarb for resuscitation.
okay, we've talked about calcium as our first step to stabilize the heart, and now insulin or now butyrol to drive the potassium intracellularly. All this sounds good, but these are all just Band-Aids. You still have the extra potassium in the body that we need to get rid of. How are we going to get rid of it? Pee it, poop it, and bleed it. Great verbiage. Let's start with peeing. Diuresis with loop diuretics plus or minus a thiazide diuretic will cause potassium loss in the nephrons. A dose of 40 of IV Lasix will normally start working in around 15 minutes with one big caveat. Yep, these patients have to have functioning kidneys, a big problem in our renal failure patients who make up the majority of our hyperkalemics. Now, even in patients with functioning kidneys, you do need to give some thought to diuretic use due to your kidney physiology. Remember, potassium excretion is determined by potassium delivery to the kidney. If the patient is already volume down or has been diuresed already, you will have decreased fluid delivery to the distal tubule, resulting in decreased potassium excretion. Therefore, make sure your patient isn't too dry already before trying to pee away the K. Number two on the list is number two. We can use enteric potassium binders to try and poop away the K, with K-exalate being the classic example. While it is our reflex to say use K-exalate to excrete potassium, the evidence doesn't really support this. The original papers that crowned K-axalate as the potassium killer came out in the 1960s. More recent studies, including a Cochrane review in 2005, suggest that these resins are not as effective in the first hour and may not even be effective over a 12-hour span. In addition, there is also a not insignificant risk of acute intestinal necrosis whose morbidity and mortality exceeds that of the hyperkalemia. With this in mind, think hard about using K-exalate, and there really is no reason to use it in the ED. There are new agents coming out, though, that may have some benefits in the acute-ish phase, so stay tuned. Finally, we have the king, hemodialysis. Hemodialysis can drop potassium one millimole in the first hour and two millimoles in three hours, fixing your hyperkalemia. Now, you can get a rebound effect, sometimes up to 70% at six hours following dialysis, but this still normally falls outside the realm of symptomatic hyperkalemia. Well, that about wraps up hyperkalemia, especially in the ED. Let's run through the key points once again. As with all your other sick patients, focus initially on IV access and getting the patient on the monitor. First medication to give would be calcium, either 10 milliliters of calcium gluconate or 10 milliliters of calcium chloride. This is quick onset, but may need to be redosed either immediately or in an hour. To acutely decrease serum potassium levels, use either 5 units or 10 units of IV regular insulin with an amp of D50. Remember to check glucose frequently after the insulin. 20 milligrams of nebulized albuterol can work quickly and effectively in 60% of patients. Never use it as a solo agent. Bicarb is great for metabolic acidosis, not so great for acute reduction of potassium. Lasix can be used for diuresis, though it's best safe for patients who are volume overloaded and have functioning kidneys. And K-exalate is not great acutely and may not be great at all. No good for the ED. Dialysis is king. If you need to fix it and fix it fast, call the nephrology team. And if you need fluids, use either lactated ringers or three amps of bicarb and a liter of D5W. Normal saline can worsen your acidosis as well as the hyperkalemia. Thanks again for the discussion, team. From the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studios here in Charlotte, North Carolina, this is EM Guidewire.